Welcome to the Lead, Learn, Grow podcast. My name is Nate Moore, and I'm the host. Today, we talk with Seth Edgar. I've known Seth for more than a decade, and he's a real pro in the cybersecurity field. Our conversation covers things like how to be safe with your information on the web, how to best be prepared should a data breach occur, how to be ready for other vulnerabilities on the internet, and a few of his favorite books. With that, let's talk to Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Oh, it's a good night, man. It's uh, good to hear from you. We haven't talked in a long while. You know, it's been a minute. Um, I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I know that uh, we, we, you kind of got your start. Uh, we were both colleagues together in the K-12 business. I know that you've kind of moved on. I, you know, I think now school districts, tech coaches go hand in hand. Right. Yeah. And um, it's almost like your literacy coach, your math coach, you got to have a tech coach as well. And um, so, you know, I, I've, you'd stop by my classroom, you know, on, in between buildings and we talk shop for a few minutes and, and you're saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm thinking about doing this. And you, you would record something and you had a little blog you put together. And I think that sort of stuff was kind of um, cutting edge, right. A decade or more ago. And now it's like, it's kind of what you have, which is almost like you're meat and potatoes nowadays. You got to have that sort of stuff. And so you kind of moved away from the ed tech. Now you're more in security operations, correct? I mean, can you speak to a little bit the difference? I mean, the the level of stress, I have to believe that you you deal with now, maybe a little higher, maybe not. I mean, it's all, you know, when you were a young teacher, everything might be a little more, (laughs) you know, uh, more intense. But the stuff you're dealing with now isn't quite the level maybe you were a decade ago. You know, I, I just think it's different, right? I, I think it's, it's, it's not necessarily a new level of stress or a new type of stress. I mean, let's be honest, your first couple of years of teaching, you're kind of thrown into the fire. You don't have a curriculum you've developed or work you've done in the past, right? You don't have uh, the benefit. You, you may have good teachers and, and people who've kind of blazed the trail before you or a strong mentor, but you're still coming up with stuff for the first time every time for quite a while. Um, security is different, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on the hook if, if uh, my current company gets breached or has, has a bad day or I'm asked to architect technologies I wouldn't have even dreamed of, you know, 10 years ago. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's different, right? I, I mean, it, it's kind of an apples and oranges thing, right? Where mm-hmm. when I was doing the... Uh, the ed, you know, really the ed tech stuff and helping people. I didn't manage people. I wasn't really on the hook for every decision I made. I was to a certain extent, right? But I wasn't um, necessarily held accountable for, hey, that wasn't a perfect representation of X and now we're in trouble, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Whereas security, I I feel like it's much more of a a high stakes poker table sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, um, it's also the, the skills of an educator, they translate everywhere. I mean, half my job is, is getting people to understand why we're doing what we're doing, um, understand better habits, communicating with often difficult people. You know, those skills translate across the board. Those, that, that stuff doesn't go away. So, so in some ways, it was helpful to have some of that in your back pocket, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I mean, my, my path to information security is a weird one. Uh, not a lot of people in my industry started as a teacher. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, honestly, I, I think it's served me really well. And it's, it's been definitely a, a differentiator between myself and my peers in, in many regards in that, um, you know, a lot of, if you will, a lot of my training was immediately end user and customer focused, mm-hmm. <laughs> be it that those customers were, you know, be between the ages of like 11 to 14. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of that, I think, um, you know, you have to have a passion for tech, right? So mm-hmm. if you don't have that uh, and, and kind of an understanding of how it works, you can pick up all their credentials, all the experience. But if you don't really have that drive and you had that drive, I mean, I think we both talked about that a lot a decade ago, right? And that's kind of the step in the right direction. Can we talk about things that might make you cringe in your field for a second? So if we're talking security, here's my question. <laughs> sure. What kind of, um, you know, in a technical environment is going to make you cringe on the job? Yeah. Um, well, number one, in, in, in there are definitely is a long <laughs> list, right? And I, I, I promise not to name names too much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I would say number one, uh, the information security industry uh, and this is this is uh, a guilt complex on both vendors and practitioners. So people who are in in-house security people and people who are are selling stuff um, really is this this immediate gloom and doom. Uh, they they prey on what we call FUD, uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Right there's this this whole thing. Um, you might get attacked, and you got to be prepared, and you got to have the latest, greatest, best in the industry, and you know, it, that's, it, that, that one makes me mm-hmm. d- d- uh, die a little inside, <laughs> it's, especially, um, you know, I, I, I was actually just talking about it today. Um, there's, there's a new vu- vulnerability that got published today. Uh, it's a pretty critical vulnerability, highest score possible, tr- decent, trivial to exploit. And, you know, there are these vendors that are putting out things like Cyber Armageddon, and cyber pandemic and these little catchphrases like that. And I'm like, oh, you, you, you water down real events <laughs> and, and by, by crying wolf all the time, you know, it, it, it makes, it trivializes the profession. This, it was a critical vulnerability, mm-hmm. not going to lie. It gave me a little bit of heartburn this morning, right? But at the end of the day, there was a fix for it. There were workarounds for it. There are mitigation strategies that you can have. It's not a buy our product or you're screwed, right? Um, and, and security people do this a lot too with, with security metrics when they're talking to executives and other people. Well, if we don't buy this firewall, we're going to get breached. And if we get breached, it'll cost yes. us million. You know, you've, you've heard it all before, right? Um, I think everything is is got to be put in perspective as far as uh, what the reality is. It needs to be pragmatic. Um, and there's a lot of things you can do for free, right? There's, there's a lot of things one. that you can do. One. I've got a short list that you said for a lot of things you can do for free. I don't know if mine are going to add up to yours. I'm sure they're part of the conversation, but throw one at me. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I personally try and have uh, just like if you were to talk to a doctor and a doctor said, if you were to meet a doctor in a bar, right, and you ask the doctor, hey, 
uh, how do I be healthier without even knowing you, without even looking at your chart? A doctor usually has three things they always mm-hmm. rattle off, right? Don't smoke, exercise. eat healthy, mm-hmm. yep. and, and exercise, right? They don't even know you. You might, you might do all or none of those three things, and that's how you're healthier, right? At security, I take very much the same approach, right? Um, item number mm-hmm. one, be careful what you put out there. <laughs> Plain and simple. Does, does your cable company mm-hmm. need your social security address and social security number, right? Whatever you put out there can be stolen. The more copies of it that you have out in the world, the more likely it is that someone's going to get breached mm-hmm. and it's going to get taken. Right. Um, so for me, that's always mm-hmm. number one. That's free. Totally. <laughs> right. Second, keep your stuff up to date. It's not perfect. I know it's not perfect, but Patching is almost always free as well when it comes with your system, right? Set it on a schedule, set it up in a way that, that, and don't ignore it, right? It's, it's just like working out. If you, if you keep neglecting it, yes, you're going to have a problem. (laughs) Um, The vulnerability that came out today, it's already got a patch. You've just got to patch it, right? There's going to be a temporary inconvenience. Some stuff is going to be down. Our stuff is going to be down at 930 PM. So in about nine more minutes here. Um, and you know, it's, it's going to be down for about two minutes and then we're done. It's fine. The reboot will be over and everybody's happy again, free, mm-hmm. simple, easy. Um, and, and the last one of course is, is yes. using strong passwords and totally. multi-factor authentication. Right. Um, and yes, I'm not going to get dragged into the debate of, of, you know, how, <laughs> How often uh-huh. should I rotate how many characters? my passwords and how many, yeah. you know, yeah, how many characters? I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. not getting dragged into that one, but use, use a good strong one. Um, I do recommend different passwords for different services. Um, or I personally have a little system I use, but I also use a password manager. Um, but then, you know, use multi-factor authentication wherever it's reasonable to use it, right? Everybody hates using that second factor, get a text on mm-hmm. your phone or you know, using an app or whatever the case may be. But, you know, for a credit card, anything that stores your credit card, anything that stores your sensitive data, any of those other things, that can be a really huge deal, right? There there are a lot of life problems that can be at least somewhat Mm -hmm. prevented from having that second factor. It's not perfect. And and I think too many people get hung up on that. Well, it's not perfect, so I'm not going to do it attitude. And again, this is about making yourself a less soft target. This is not about <laughs> be, you know, it's the, how do I be healthier kind of advice, right? It's the, how do I make myself a little bit harder to compromise? If somebody really wants to get to your stuff, yeah, they might be able to, but too often the security industry sells that as the, be, be aware of nation states. It's like, well, hold on. Yeah. That's like telling people, Hey, you need to protect yourself against being mug felt the likelihood that that's ever going to happen is super, super low, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, okay, in theory, you, you should not be hanging out in back alleys waiting for black belts. But at the same time, in general, yes, could a black belt take you out? I guess, sure. But, but that's not what we're usually talking about when you think about the average mugger, <laughs> right? And, and it's, it's a numbers game. At that point. Yeah. And I mean, the, the big, you've ticked all the boxes. Okay. Uh, but at the end of the day, the human factor plays such a big role in this, correct? And just being safe. It does. 
Um, it really does. So, so with that said, I guess if I can keep, keep rolling in the same direction, you know, you're in the captain's chair. What do you got to get right, uh, right from the start um, in the role that you're, you're in? Mm. So I, I think there's a lot to be said for standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. I don't have to reinvent anything, <laughs> really. Um, there are a lot of really great security frameworks out there. There are a lot of really good um, base setups and designs and things that can be leveraged. I would I would say that that's a really good, but just getting those right isn't sufficient to do real security. And what I mean by that is I could tell you to have a very strong password. If you're still going to write it on a sticky note, <laughs> right. there's very little I can do about that, right? Like, it, you, congratulations, you have a password that is completely random numbers and digits, <laughs> but it's sitting on your desk. It's or, uh, it's taped to the to your monitor, like uh, or the yeah. or the laptop the laptop uh, piece. Yes. So you know, it, there's all all of the frameworks, security frameworks, all those things in the world all of complying with all of those frameworks doesn't equal perfect security. So I would say that that the most important thing from my vantage point is that you, when you take risks, um, that, that you do them in a orderly or in a conscientious method, right? So for instance, if there was no seatbelt light in your car, you might not put it on, right? Mm-hmm. It, you just might forget, you might not. But even if I, as a car manufacturer, put that seatbelt light in there and that makes 90 something percent of people put on their seatbelt, that's a really good start, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't apply to all situations. <laughs> there are times where you're a farm truck in the middle of the field, where yeah, the seatbelt light might be on, but the car is going five miles an hour and it really doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I made it such that your seatbelt must be fastened before you can start the car, that would be ridiculous. That's not pragmatic. Right. Mm -hmm. However, give you that reminder and let you make a conscious choice not to buckle that seatbelt, but you've, you're at least making it consciously, not subconsciously anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Total sense. So it's, I, I believe that a large portion of getting it right is getting everybody to at least understand when they're conscientiously making a decision that could increase their risk. Um, mm-hmm. People are going to click on links and emails. That's what they're designed to do, <laughs> right? right. Um, people are going to open attachments. It's what it's intended to be there for in, in an email. Um, there's no way my general counsel's office is not going to open attachments and emails. They get thousands of attachments and emails every month <laughs> that are PDFs that they have to open, right? They, they don't have a choice. That's part of their job. That's part of their everyday. But if there's some sort of a conscientious step, let's say that they get an alert when that Word doc or whatever starts to try and run a macro or starts to do something else or now they're making a conscientious step to go, hey, that's a little odd. I've never seen that before. Why would I do that? Now we're getting somewhere, right? Heads up stuff. 
Yeah. It's, it's, I, I'm less concerned about my security people getting all of security perfect. I'm even less concerned about my IT people getting all of IT and security 100% every way we want it. I'm more concerned about your average user because that's going to be the majority of our company anyway. IT doesn't usually make you money. Um, <laughs> that, <Right. laughs> that, that needs to be making those choices consciously. Yeah, and so somewhere in this conversation, it sounds like, um, you know, we're talking about responsibilities for the end user, some coaching somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, making sure that I heard you talk a little bit about just customer service, you know, controlling the things that you can control. Yeah. Um, so is your environment a BYOD environment with your end users? It is not. Environment was. This one is not. Um and, and part of that is, uh, so I work in the insurance industry and mm-hmm. uh, the, the type of information we handle, uh, it, it has some pretty strong security needs pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so all of our devices currently are corporately issued with a corporate image with, you know, like corporate installed software. Users don't get access to install their own stuff. Um, there's a lot of overhead there, <laughs> if, I'm, yes. if I'm being honest, right? Like that's yeah. a lot of extra effort. Uh Um, but, and, and there are some frustrations that boil over and of course you don't want to be such an impediment that people can't do their job, but it, yeah, no, we, we are, uh, uh, corporately controlled device environment. So you, so two things, the first one's just for fun, but, uh, you know, you get that help desk ticket that says, I can't, what do you mean? I can't install this tax software on my work device. Right. Maybe that yep. never comes across your desk, but uh, in Daily. my world, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, in my world, those sorts of things are, are um, kind of ongoing. So, uh, so since you're not BYOD, you know, bring your own um, device uh, environment, um, you know, we're in a pandemic. How do you manage an ende- an, this kind of endeavor with, you know, having, con- con- um, you know, connectivity, different devices, um, some kind of repair system, swap system. So if something breaks down, how do you do this during a pandemic? Yeah. Um, man, you, you lobbed that one with a softball and you followed it up <laughs> with the, with the, you know, fastball right after, but you're on your toes. So <laughs> you're, you're a real pro. I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask you if I knew you, you, you didn't, uh, you weren't a pro about it. No. Uh, so from, y- yeah, it is a challenge. Um, Actually, probably one of the best thought leaders I've seen on this, which um, I wouldn't have expected because um, as soon as I say the company, you're going to be like, oh, really? But um, they're not they're <laughs> no, they're known, uh, very well known company, but they're they're not necessarily known for being their quick, responsive on their toes kind of company. Um, Microsoft uh, published a series of pieces that are fascinating on how they had to adapt to, um, so if you remember, Seattle had a number of, of COVID cases really early, uh, greater Seattle, Washington area, which is where Microsoft's headquarters is nearby. And so they chose to shut down their entire primary campus almost immediately. And I mean, they had proprietary research and development going, they had all sorts of stuff that, that couldn't slow down, right, from, from their vantage point. Mm-hmm. And suddenly their entire workforce was 100% remote, no plans on coming back. And so Microsoft moved to something that's pretty cool. It's called a zero trust model. Um, 
it's talked about a little bit and it's kind of turned a little bit into a buzzword. Um, I don't, I don't love the buzzwordy side of it, but, but mm-hmm. it, it's a pretty neat uh, philosophy in that you essentially treat all devices, all services, all everything as not worthy until it can prove it's trustworthy. Hmm. So all networks are just assumed bad. All devices connected are assumed bad. Doesn't matter if they're corporate, BYOD, otherwise doesn't matter. And then you try and establish trust for the uh, reasonable levels of assurance that the device is person or the system or the network is usable enough for the data over it or storing on it. And um, I won't claim that my environment has fully adopted that, right? Because we haven't needed to in the same way. Um, We've had Mm -hmm. a few adaptations we've had to do with, you know, work is suddenly closed and people only had a desktop machine and we had to Mm -hmm. buy them some computers and figure that out and ship devices and Mm -hmm. do all of that. But um, really the, the idea is, listen, you're not getting into this system, whatever, you know, that houses sensitive data, let's say, unless you can prove that your device is up to snuff. And once you can prove you are who you say you are and your device is up to snuff, then you can connect over an encrypted connection. And then and only then can you access the data, but it never leaves our servers. Hmm. So it kind of flips the model on its head a little bit that like the server is the only place that you can get to the stuff, but you enhance the functionality of the services you offer to meet that model, right? So Office 365 is a great example of that. Uh, Google G Suite is similar in um, that, you know, I don't necessarily have to have the Excel document on my computer anymore, right? right. Full of HIPAA data or whatever right? right. <laughs> to do my job. Nor do you store- want it maybe. No, I mean, it used to, you know, the saying used to be that, that you know, that, that proprietary data is like gold. Um, I think it's starting to switch to that like uranium. Nobody wants it, but it's still yeah. incredibly valuable. <laughs> That's interesting. That's really, really heads up. And I think in my world, you know, we're talking like FERPA stuff and you're, you know, you're basically talking the same thing. We're just, we just have, we're, you know, young people. So you have data and mm-hmm. information and you're constantly trying to be on your toes to make sure that, you know, your data isn't. Um, putting you or you're putting the data in a bad spot, which is very similar to what you're, it is what you're talking about right now. Yeah. I think the tricky balance with, um, so something like FERPA, where it gets tricky, at least in my book, right? Is that as far as I'm aware, well, I guess it's two parts. As far as I'm aware, number one, there's really never been any legislation that's actually come down hard on anybody for violating FERPA. Like nobody, I don't think anybody's ever had a real true monetary loss for violating FERPA. I could be wrong, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that there's not ever been a ruling that has said, you know, you violated FERPA, here's a $2 million fine. Mm-hmm. But the other challenge there is you're not just doing security, you're also doing privacy. Right. That's the and, catch. It's still privacy, just like HIPAA, right? Any of that stuff is still. Yeah. But what what happens is you're also incentivizing districts and colleges and anybody that handles educational data if it's truly uranium right um 
extending the metaphor a little bit, you want it in somebody else's <laughs> stockpile, not your own. Right. Right. You don't want to be holding that bag. So you outsource it and you sign a nice little pretty contract with another company who will handle it for you and assume all that risk for a fee. Right. And probably for a little bit higher fee mm -hmm. than the company who just sells it to you for an on-prem solution. So you've got two perks, right? You've got solution and I'm not on the hook for FERPA. This other guy is right. Right. And the problem is they could do security really, really well. The question is, do they do both security and privacy really, really well? And who is on the hook and differentiating security and privacy, right? Security is saying, hey, only the right people are handling the data in a man manner that's appropriate. Privacy is saying, hey, if I want nobody else to touch my data except where exactly appropriate, that's my right, right? Mm -hmm. And um, especially with like GDPR or uh, the CCPA, Cal California Consumer Privacy Act, and probably 49 other states that are about to enact similar legislation if they haven't already started it, um, you get into a really weird gray zone where you've, you've outsourced the work, but you can't outsource the accountability, right? It, you're still mm -hmm. as a district, as a college, as an administrator, you're still the one that they entrusted with the data in the first place. You're, you're still on the hook for stewarding it well, right? And how to do that and what checks to do with that get really, really fuzzy with FERPA. HIPAA data has some pretty decent guidance and guidelines and rulings and legal precedent that have surrounded it. PCI data, credit card data, very similar. Um, has tons and tons of uh, precedents and investigations and rulings. FERPA is in this weird gray zone, right? Where it's it's kind of it's kind of official and it kind of feels not, <laughs> right? And 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 navigating that, knowing that likely it'll change, especially as privacy laws change, um, makes it a really tricky standard to really know what's allowable in outsourced land versus in-house land. And of course, you still want to manage costs at the same time. Your average district can't afford a CISO or a security guy. So, right. so now how do they do that due diligence without a professional that's, that's doing that full time? You know? So I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head with the cloud. I think I've seen more and more districts all the time using almost very identical verbiage. It's in the cloud. Somebody else is on the hook to make sure that we've, you know, covered ourselves. I mean, I think locally you, you make sure you're good to go, but I think ultimately, you know, you're, you're spot on, but, but you can't, <laughs> that's, that's the catch. Right. Too, right. No, like, it is the you, catch. You're totally right. You can outsource the work. You can't outsource whether or not you were entrusted with that data. And, and I think that's, that's the real tricky piece to this is, is determining how to divide that line when there's not clear guidance. Totally. So uh, you said it was uranium. <laughs> yeah. What, ha what happens if it was plutonium <laughs> could, and I had a, and I had a De DeLorean, could I still protect my data and go back in time? You, you could try, but Man, or would it be 
back into the future, which is <laughs> still back in time. You know, I, I, I actually okay. think that the future is a little bit scary with, <laughs> with all these things. I, I may <laughs> want to go back to what was it, 1888 or uh, whenever they, they went back to. Nineteen fifty-five. Well, no, Back to the Future two. Oh, sorry. Yeah, eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. Eighteen fifty-five. Eighteen eighty-eight. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have to uh, Google that. So, uh, we got a favorite tool or application right now that you're using with your staff or, or, or your department to be efficient or effective on on the job. You know, at the, you know workflow type stuff. Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna be a little bit cheesy here. Um, Honestly, the number one optimizer I have with my team, especially in a remote environment, is is probably Microsoft Teams. Um, I, I don't love it. And before I get booed by the audience, right, it has its weaknesses <laughs> and it has its problems, right? But um, when it comes down to being able to quickly create channels, um, let's say, like, so security, we deal with the incidents and problems, right? To be able to quickly create a channel that is solely for the discussion of that problem, share files, share data, and have everybody in a group chat all responding and piling on something, then, hey, we need to loop in so-and-so, loop in so-and-so, they get the whole conversation history speed in about two minutes, right? Um, the ability to respond dynamically like that, do video and voice chat, to, to do all of that in real time has been really helpful. Um, my, my team does or organizes its work in uh, Kanban boards, uh, sure. you know, in the usual agile yep. framework, yep. all that kind of stuff. Um, but our Kanban board is actually, uh, it was, we're now in JIRA, but it was in Teams. And we were using that for probably seven, eight months um, pretty well. Uh, just using Teams's, I think it's Planner. Um, but, but like just organizing it, setting it up and it was just a tab, my on-call schedule. So if I need to look up who's on call, I can literally open my work phone, um, go to teams, look at the, the on-call tab and I'll tell me who's on call for tonight without, with their phone number, <laughs> you know, and that's just, it started as an Excel spreadsheet and now it's just in teams and works. Um, a lot of those things I really like, I really enjoy, uh, the ability to quickly contact people if I need to. Um, it's got its downsides, like all of working from home tools <laughs> and mm -hmm. that I'm now also mm -hmm. always, always reachable. Um, mm -hmm. with that said though, I mean, it's, it, I would say right now, if I had to pick a tool given current context and all things going on, uh, that one is probably the biggest efficiency ad <clears throat> that we've got going for us. So can we talk about that for a second? We're, we're remote and I know, I know folks, uh, in the, K-12 side of things that because we're remote, you always feel like you're on. How do you handle that? Uh, myself personally? Well, I, you know, sure. I'll answer that two ways. So I'm, I'm a leader. Uh, I lead a, a, a team of security professionals who are on call 24 hours a day. So that burnout and that um, constant tension to always be working is it's kind of, it, it's very real, not just for me, but also for my team. So I, for, as, as a leader, um, I try and be very cognizant that, and, and tell my team very directly, um, my expectation is that you work 40 hours a week, right? That might mean from 9 p.m. till 2 a.m. I have you work. You're a grown adult 
who is capable of managing their time, let me know what alternate schedule you want a little later this week. We'll make it work. You got to take your wife or your kids to a dentist appointment or a surgery or an outpatient, something, just do it. Keep track of your time. Let me know <laughs> that you're not available. So I'm not banking on you for something and, and we make it work, but making that expectation really clear. I want you working more hours than is expected of you because the work will always be there the next day, the next day, the next day. I have a, a an individual that gets something on the order of about 70 to a hundred requests a day. He cannot keep up with that himself. We know we need to staff up for that position. So sitting him down when a lot of this started and going, listen, man, I don't expect you to solve all the problems you get in a given day. I expected you to solve what you can. And I expect you to take your time to do it right the first time because you have a queue of other things. If it has to wait a day or two, it's all right. There's zero pressure from me. That goes, that goes a mile, <laughs> right? That inch travels <laughs> on its own. It goes at least a mile. But as an individual, right, especially as a leader, especially as an individual, so security operations, I'm on the hook if we get breached, if we have a problem, if a new vulnerability or something comes out, et cetera. Um, I'm lucky in that I like what I do. <laughs> so, uh -huh. like, for instance, uh, I'll, uh, I'll put Twitter under the bus for a minute. I use Twitter on a daily basis to get my news. I also use Twitter because I like Twitter. <laughs> so uh -huh. it's not uncommon for me after the kids go to bed or, or whatever to actually um, be just checking Twitter, browsing it, seeing what my peers and what, what other professionals are doing. And if something comes up, yeah, I might text a member of my team or at least reach out and say, hey, is now right? And if now is not a good time, hopefully they have a backup or I reach out to the on-call person and they get to figure it out, even if they're not the go-to person for it. You know, th those kind of things. It just kind of comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, <laughs> I have a friend who said, I think we need to change it from working from home to living at work. <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily ascribe to that. Um, I, I think you have to make a much more conscious effort to disengage when my computer or when my laptop closes at five, five thirty, six, whenever it is. Um, it's pretty rare that I will open it back up. I still get work email on my phone and stuff, but those notifications are off. Mm -hmm. uh, people know if they need yep. to reach me um, urgently that they they need to text, right or Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have those boundaries of how you're reachable, right? But then go, when I'm done, I'm done. And these are the number of hours I'm working so that those, those healthy boundaries exist. Um, it's not always perfect. There's going to be some flex time in there, right? It's, it's going to be a little wobbly. But where you can adhering to that schedule or treating things that are for yourself, such as dinner with your family or mm -hmm. hanging out with your friends, et cetera, as appointments and appointments that are on your calendar. And if those things get overwritten by a work thing or something else popping up, it's on you to reschedule those, right? Just like any other appointment, just like a dentist appointment, just like a doctor's appointment, those are equally as important to your health. And, and to your well-being and your mental stability, honestly. So totally, um, I'm pretty adamant about protecting my time. So for instance, if I 
let's say I, you know, I have a kind of a standing thing. I do dinner with my family at, at six. Let's say a work phone call over overruns the six o'clock family dinner something for whatever reason. I'm not working an hour around that time with my kids, right? It's just mm -hmm. as important as if I had a meeting with the CEO of my company. And if I treat it that way, it's way, way easier to, to keep that balance. I'm, I'm, as you can kind of hear, I'm a little militant about it, <laughs> but it's, it's calendar management. It's, it's keeping track of what, what's important to you and prioritize, prioritizing accordingly, right? You can't always change when work's going to suddenly pop up or a thing is going to suddenly blow up, but setting it, that expectation, I think is critical. Yeah. And it's just no nonsense. And I, and I think that's where everybody's got to be in this remote um, space that we're at right now. So, so uh, we've talked, we're kind of rounding third here. I know we're, I know you've, you've got other things going on and I do really appreciate your time, but we're sort of in the, on the track uh, to home plate here, but um, I just, I wouldn't mind to get a little more granular for a second. And it's kind of a two-parter. You talked about vulnerabilities already, and I've heard you mention the word breach. Is there a vulnerability or a breach of data that, that you can speak to and maybe how you handled it or how you moved forward or what, what's coming down the pike? It doesn't have anything specific, but just kind of some, your first go-to if one of, you know, those two things are out there. Yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't think it's uncommon knowledge. I don't know if it's common knowledge, but it's probably not uncommon knowledge. Um, I, I have responded to a breach. Uh, I was uh, the CISO at MSU when they had a data breach. Um, I'm probably not going to speak too much to that as far as um, any, any details or specifics, just as legal hot water and whatnot. Um, I would say... The nice thing is, just like many things, uh, there is there are frameworks out there that are very helpful in responding to breaches, in responding to, and, and I'm very proud of how we responded to the breach. So from mm -hmm. from uh, moment until containment was within, um, from containment to full closure of how they got in and root cause analysis was under 24 mm -hmm. hours and from detection all the way till not victim notification was less than five days. I, I, so industry average is 90. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I with that aspect of things. Um, mm -hmm. with, with that said, um, I think that the whole thing there is a lot of places in my experience where they come mm -hmm. and that's where they get burned. So uh, I had a really good mentor that, um, that security career that is to and to follow that plan and even pack you over at least following the plan if it was right on paper. You can always improve a plan. It's never going to be 100% perfect. And there's always going to be those problems. But it's really hard to criticize somebody who's done all of the work up front 
executed to that plan to the best of their ability, right? You know, knowing that stuff happened and then the plan itself or book or whatever um, ended up with an issue. No one, (laughs) I won't say no one. It's very difficult to uh, go after someone and, and crucify someone in the court of public opinion when those things have already been in place, right? Mm-hmm. I was fortunate in incident responders. Um, we had a good incident response plan that the entire organization had already bought into, and, and we were just running on the rails. Um, there were curveballs in there. There were issues. We adapted our plan accordingly, of course. But, um, you know, I, I think really if I have any piece of advice to anybody who's out there, who's on the hook for some degree of security, the mo- one of the most important things you can possibly have is an incident response plan mm-hmm. and a breach response plan that, that has been like that you and at least your legal and communications teams and your leadership are on the. Um, now you're trying to do that in the middle of an of a crisis when people are not sleeping well <laughs> when yeah. there's a lot of uncertainty when there's a lot of pieces up in the air and that's rare decisions yeah that's great feedback um so, so just a couple more questions here um how do you grow in your day to day Great, great question. So um, I think I was telling you about this earlier. Um, I'm a huge proponent of ensuring that you and your staff and your team are continually pursuing um, career professional development. So your, your career is in your hands, right? And, and as, as a, a manager, as a leader, it's my job to make sure that I'm equipping you for what you want as best. It still also meets our mutual interests. Right. I can't, I can't send you to to a juggling training. Right. But I I can, well, what's wrong with juggling training? That could be sweet. It could. Um, I I, I still have to pay for it. I don't know what it has to do with security, but maybe there'd be like a sweet, like (laughs) flaming juggling chainsaw thing that comes back and is like a big team builder with the, with the office. I stand corrected, (laughs) but uh, I guess my point being right, like a a lot of my, so I have um, with my team personally, I have a standing rule that we have one-on-ones for a minimum of half an hour every two weeks. And in our first one-on-one, we talk about what their goals are, what it is they want to do. They're all smart goals. We talk through what smart goal setting is. You know, I have a lot of young professionals in my team currently um, or, or folks that maybe don't have formal security certifications or whatever the case might be. Um, so I, in meetings every two weeks, we are checking in and going, okay, what did you get done in the last two weeks that pushed you towards this goal? What did you, what goals do you have or what things do you have that are on your career bucket list? And it's okay if they change every two weeks. I hope they do. Um, but, but in addition to that, um, I also leave a window of space to go, okay, 
are there any decisions, any things that happened in the last two weeks um, that you either have feedback from me specifically on or um, that I can clarify for you? So for instance, in the midst of a security incident, I may not be able to tell you all the reasons of my decision-making. It's not the time, right? In the, mm -hmm. same way, in the same way that a firefighter doesn't necessarily understand all the criteria that went into using the jaws of life to get somebody out of a car, <laughs> right. I, may, I may not be able to tell you right at this exact second 39 things that are going through my brain about why I made a choice. Mm -hmm. Make a note of it, and we'll talk about it, right? So that we have that two-way conversation. We're building trust. We're building an actual relationship. And on top of that, that's all in the context of your career investment and what's going on for you, right? And what you wanna be doing. So for me personally, um, a lot of my formal training happened at the beginning of my security career. It happened almost a decade ago. So I wanna keep current with new threats, new items, new things that are coming along. And so I tend to look for trainings. I tend to look for classes and courses that are either relevant to my current security responsibilities or areas that I know I'm really weak in that I've never mm -hmm. done. Um, I personally tend to lean towards really lab heavy classes because mm -hmm. uh, I, I tend to learn better that way. But, um, you know, I, for me per personally, that's the investment I'm doing. Uh, and, and I mean, for my team, I'm, I'm trying to use any resources I have, connections I have. I, I mean, like most industries, security is a pretty small industry. Um, and I, I likely know somebody or know many people that have either already met goals or who are on that same path and trajectory, and I'd love to connect them, right? It, that, that networking mm -hmm. aspect, getting them connected to other professionals or uh, trainings or other people that have similar interests is, I mean, that goes, that goes so far for them. Um, I, I actually met some of the people I currently work for and with by presenting at conferences <laughs> and they happened hmm. to be in the audience. And when I went into interview, mm -hmm. um, I actually had my, my interviewers sit down and be like, so what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> because I'd already done a lot of that, that networking and we already had some of that relationship in the past. And when they saw my name on the interview list or on the, the candidate list, I had an interview the next day, you know, be, because it was, it was already established and, and um, that networking had been done in advance. Right. So relationships are important, even though you're in the, in a technical field. Yeah. Relationships still play a role. Correct? Absolutely. Uh, relationships with those that work for you, that you work for, that for you, with your vendors, your peers, your competitors. Really, security is not a competitive industry. I know that sounds odd to say, but um, when you talk to the thought leaders in information security, they, they are the biggest fans of the CEO of other security companies. <laughs> It's, it's the strangest thing, but it's, it's because we're, we're really, as odd as it might sound, we're kind of all fighting against the industry. <laughs> we're all fighting against vulnerabilities and issues and problems. And, um, you know, it, we're more about making sure that people are doing things in a good, clean and secure way.
and mm-hmm. and a lot less about who's making a buck. Everybody's doing okay, and, and well, not everybody, but a lot of them are doing just mm-hmm. fine on that front. It we're our biggest cheerleaders, which is really cool to see. Yeah, um, and I think that's hugely important because until you've walked in your shoes, no one knows what it's like, yeah. right? So you got you kind of got to roll together. Um, so I love books. I'm constantly reading. I always ask this question on my pod. What are you reading right now? What have you read? What what, what would you leadership wise? Oh man, you know, on the job. I mean, just just throw something at me or a couple things. I mean, let's just keep it simple. What's what what are you going to pick up tonight or tomorrow night after you get done with work? Is there a book that's on your shelf? So right now, uh, I am reading through the Tribe of Hackers series, um, which is uh, a really interesting. Uh, it, it's kind of perspectives on a number of different roles within information security from probably pinnacle of professionals in each of those spaces. Um, mm-hmm. And then next on my reading list after that is um, it's actually, it's called uh, cult of the dead cow. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of uh, about some of the, some earlier foundations of information security that I've been looking forward to getting a chance to read. It's supposed to come the next day or so. I'd say those two are, are up there for me. Uh, my Amazon wish list is growing ever longer these days uh, as it seems like a lot of people are finally finishing their books now that they're not going into an office. So <laughs> I think I'm not going to have much of a shortage for a while. It's funny how that works. Um, so this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Um, I know we're coming up on an hour here and I said 30 minutes, but I've loved every second of this conversation and I've, I've taken some notes myself. Um, I, I really wanted to have you on the pod for a while, so I'm glad it's worked out. No, this is great. Uh, thank you so much for having me out. Um, if there's any clarifications or if there are any follow-up questions or anything like that, that I, I can help with or uh, you know where to find me, but, uh, yeah, I, I loved being on here. Uh, loved the discussion. And uh, hopefully we can do this again another time soon. Yeah, I'd like that a lot. I, I, you'd, you'd be uh, a great follow-up. And, um, you know, we can talk more and, and keep talking about books. Sounds good to me, man. Great. Well, I appreciate your time, Seth. Yeah, you too.